A star potatoes. A guy calls me up, sends me a text, and he says that he's not feeling well. His stomach is rumbling, and uh, he needs to break the fast. Can he break the fast? So I, I got some a lady who's got kids at home. She said, I'm not nursing, I'm not pregnant. I want to fast. Sometimes the ladies, somehow the ladies want to fast. And she says, I want to fast, but I can't. What should I do? So, you know, during the course of the day, I'm giving a bunch of hetero. And this guy, I, I said to him, why, uh, why is your stomach rumbling? Why are you not feeling good? He says, because I'm fasting. So I'm like, um, <laughs> isn't that how it's supposed to work? Aren't you supposed to not feel good? So then he sends back. He sends on, um, on a voice note. And he tells me, he says, why do I have to fast for something that happened thousands of years ago? Why is it my problem that thousands of years ago, these guys made a mistake and therefore I need to fast now? But it, it, like, right, isn't it? Why? So I said, because you know, two thousand years ago, then right. one of them was very. For the couple thousand years, that was a problem. She says, she says, oh, I know the so I said, right. Right. So why are we doing it? Okay. So we're reflecting and repentant of something that happened. So this guy wants to know why I have to worry about something that happened a few thousand years ago. And I said, that's a very good question. And I'm trying to come up with a good answer as to why, why I should be fasting. And I don't know the answer. And then I was learning yesterday. And as Hashgacha Pratis would have it, I came across this concept I want to share with you. And I really believe that it provides a solid comprehensive answer. And the part is as follows. Parshas Vayechi this week. So it says that beginning of the parsha, Yaakov is about to pass away. Yaakov lived in Mitzrayim for the 17 best years of his life. He lived with Yosef. He was in Eretz Goshen. Everything was amazing. He's about to pass away and the parsha begins how he calls his son Yosef right at the beginning of Vayechi. He calls his son Yosef and he says, he says, come here Yosef, do me a favor. Do not bury me, do not inter me in the land of Egypt. When I will die, he says, I want you to take me, carry me out of Egypt. Ukvartani Bikurosam, bury me there in Orasamachpela, in Hebron, in Eretz Kenan. Vayoimar, Yosef tells him, Onoichi Esekid Vorechatati, Daigenisht, Altid Ag, I will do exactly as you say. I would have ended the parasha right there. The next pasuk is enigmatic, completely not understood. Vayoimar, he tells him, Ishavali, Swear to me. So what does he do? Vayishavaloi. 
he swears to him. He says, fine. Takes a shvua. I will do as you say. Now, let's get unsophisticated and simple as you can ever get. I'm a little kid sitting in class. I pick up my hand. I say, Rabbi, I don't understand what just happened in that pasuk. Do you? He says to Yosef, you're the king. You're the one who's capable of doing things. That's why he's summoning Yosef, not anybody else. He says, Yosef, please make sure that I get carried out of Mitzrayim, that I get taken to Eretz Canaan, that I end up getting buried in Me'oras HaMachpelah. I do not want to be buried in Mitzrayim no matter what. What does Yosef tell him? Three words. Anochi ese kidvarecha. I will do as you say. Do you for one second believe that Yosef would not do as he said he would do? Do we even begin to entertain the thought that Yosef would even contemplate for a second not carrying out that which he had promised he would do? That's a promise. Inside Blinader, he said, Anoichi ese kidvarecha. Rabbi, I don't understand. He says, he shavali. Swear to me. Make an oath. It makes sense. It's his last wish they asked before he's dying. He just wants to make sure he's very, you know. I no, no, I, I, I get, one second, I get his last wish. He wants it done 100%. I'm okay. He's when I don't get his... So once, okay, very good, very good. So basically what that means is that he was, he was under the... the, the um, understanding that for whatever reason Yosef would not do what he promised he would do to his father on his dying, dying bed. I, don't know, he just, I, I think it's almost like natural. Like I'm not surprised to see it here. Like I just, it's like the person is so cool because I need it. And the person is saying, yes, I'll do it. It's how they just swear to me. It just makes him feel better. Okay. Very good. Like, very good. So let me give you examples of people who needed to swear to each other. For example, Abraham tells Eliezer, he says, I want you, please, to go get a wife for me, for my son, Yitzchak. Now, did Abraham, for any reason, not trust Eliezer that he would carry out? I would assume that Eliezer was very, um, was very uh, trustworthy by Avram. Yet Avram tells him, Simno yod I'm going to make you take a shavua by the God of heaven and the God of earth. Now, why must he do that? So we learn over there. Very simple why. Because he didn't trust him. Even though he was a trustworthy person. Because Eliezer had a daughter. And he wanted Avram to marry, to marry Yitzchak to his daughter, which made more sense. Also, ditto, where you have... That's in Parashat Chaisar. What about where you have um, the Shvua between Avram and, uh, and Avimelech? Where he says to him, um, Avimelech says, Swear to me. What's the purpose of a shvur there? It's lack of trust. They don't trust each other. But when you have Yaakov and Yosef... He was there for a lot more than 22 years by now, just to clarify, right. he was... Plus 17, I think maybe he felt like, you know, maybe he was a little taken in by the culture, or maybe he was... I don't know. Right, and they, so he felt... Let me understand. He felt Yosef was taken by the culture, and therefore he was a liar. When he said he was going to do something, like, he would do it. You know, anything can happen, So in other words, for some reason, he thought that Yosef was so impressed by the culture of Mitzrayim that he wouldn't actually end up carrying out that which he said he would do. If Yosef didn't say, if he said, I'll think about it, 
No, then I would say, no, don't take a shot. Good. I think your answer is perfect, except I, don't, I, I just don't understand the context. I, I agree with your answer. I agree that's the most basic answer. Because the biggest problem over here is, let me just tell you, the biggest problem is that the most basic Rebbe, Rashi, doesn't say anything. That's the problem. Rashi obviously thought it's so clear, Pashtus, as you're saying. Because he's concerned for whatever reason that Yosef's not going to do it. Because he's, I don't know. And therefore he says, he's shovely, you must swear to me. And then he says, okay, now I'm sure you'll do it. Now I don't understand. What was he suspect of? What was he suspicious of? That Yosef would not do it. I think Yosef would definitely do it. I would think Yosef to him, Kibudav. Let me just remind you what Yosef's Kibudav is. Yosef's Kibudav was such that <coughs> when he went, his father sent him to Shechem. Right? He was, he got to Shechem. And the Ish told him, he says, your brothers were not so mizen. According to one chat, at least they went to Doisan and he says, they want to kill you. And he says, yep, but for Kibudav, my father, my father told me to go see how your brothers are doing. I'm going to go see how my brothers are doing, no matter what, even if it may cost me my life or being sold as a slave for the rest of my life. My father said, I'm going to do it. That wasn't a shvur. His father just goes, said, go check how your brothers are doing. I guarantee you his father did not want him to go. His father would have been much happier if he come back and said, Tati, I couldn't do it, they want to kill me. Right? And he carried that one out without a shvur. That was There was a lot more adversity at that point. So why over here doesn't he do it? Now, the answer, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone here has heard. Because one of those famous cases, no? Wasn't meant for... This is the answer we, we always heard. I've always thought that's the answer. What's the word? The word is that... Um, this is the... By the Ramban, the Rahim, all the Mepharshim say this, this explanation over here. This is what they say. The Pshat is, it wasn't because of Yosef, because of the Mitzrim. Because the Mitzrim are going to want Yaakov to be buried in Mitzrayim. Because for the Mitzrim, it is better for Yaakov to be buried in Mitzrayim. So they're going to say, we need Jacob with us. Why do you need him with you? We need an oil to go daven at. We need a place to be in. The Mitzvah wanted, of course, as a, a deity also, not just in a, in a holy sense. But the fact is that Yaakov, when he came down to Mitzvah, gave Paroi a bracha. And as of then, the, the, the famine ended and the river Nile rose. So if Yaakov is interred in Mitzvah, that's going to help the Egyptians. So what does the Shavua negate that? Pyro could tell Yosef, sorry, you made a shvur, not me. I don't have to listen. I'm, I'm not allowed. I'm overriding Yaakov's request and saying you're not allowed to go. Right? That is in fact exactly what happened. If you look much later in the parasha, take a look at um, uh, Perek Nun Posuk Vov. When Yaakov is about to be, they get about to carry him to Canaan. Paro is trying to prevent it, page 148. Vayoymer Paroi, line 4, Paroi says, Alei, go up, Those words, Kasherish Biecha, redundant. Why? Why as he swore to you? So what does Rashi over there say? Now Rashi has a comment. You see a long comment, Kasherish Biecha, Im loy bishvila shvua, loyayiti manichacha, word, not for the shvua, I wouldn't permit. Why would Paro 
Oh, why? So Rashi wants to know that question. So he's asking your question. You could just say, oh, I don't care. Just transgress the Shavua. Why? That's exactly Rashi's question. Lest Yosef tell him, Remember the story? The story was, when they went up to Mitzrayim, the Pasuk says, we say it every Thursday, There's a testimony of Joseph, which he received when he was placed king over Mitzrayim. I heard languages I didn't know. The night before, Yosef was taken out of prison, out of the dungeon, the Malach comes over to him and he teaches him all 70 languages. Because in Mitzrayim, wisdom was how many languages you knew. And he rose step by step by step. So what happened was, on the, as when Yosef comes into Pari, there was a ladder to rise. Yosef goes up the ladder, up, 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 up. he's rising up this ladder. He's getting all the way to the top and Pari is like, uh-oh. Because Pari knew 70 languages. One language he didn't know. That was Lashon HaKodesh. He gets up to the top and Yosef, Lashon HaKodesh, that was his language. He rises. Most Mitzvah on step one, just a new Egyptian. Yeah, he goes every single language and he gets to 70 and 71. But everyone else is like 30, 40 steps below. So nobody could see exactly who's on top. But they saw, wow, Yosef and Pari over there. So Pari says to Yosef, listen, really, you're the Pharaoh. But if you allow me to be the Pharaoh, then I'll make sure you have everything. Just give me the rights to be Pari. Yes, like, no problem. I don't mind. I don't need to be the Pari. You be Pari and I'll be the guy one step below you. Ever heard this one? So... Never heard the story? This is like the story you grow up on. <laughs> right, so he says to him, so he says, hey, I, I, I know that extra language. So now, Pari says, okay, deal, but make me a shvua. So Yosef says, no problem. I swear, I take a shvua, I'm with you. Right? So he tells him, he says to him, the shvua is a shvua. Right? So now it comes... So now it comes when his father's going to be buried. Now, apparently, Yaakov knew that. He knew about the Shavuah. So he says to Yosef, take a Shavuah, swear to me. Now, Pari comes along and he says, Yosef, eh, forget the Shavuah. He's like, forget the Shavuah? Let me just remember you one thing. Remind you, if you, my Shavuah is nothing, then none of my Shavuahs mean anything. Then the Shavuah that I was Nishba to you also means nothing. So then I can do it anyway. Because for sure that I swore to you means nothing, then I'm the king. Then I'll dictate what I would like anyway. And I'll tell everyone that I know one more language than you, and therefore I'm really supposed to be the king. That's why it succeeded. That's the pshat that I always understood over here. Why did he make him take a shvua? In order that later on, the shvua should be the saving grace against Paroi. It wasn't for Yosef. Yosef would have done what he said. It was for Paroi. Right? It's a good answer. Correct? Except that Rashi doesn't say it in the correct location. Kids sitting in class. Pari, Yaakov and Yosef are by themselves. Yaakov tells Yosef, make a shvua. Yosef says, I swear. Kid lifts up his hand. Rabbi, he said he's going to do it. Why must it be a shvua? The answer is, I don't know the answer. Wait till the end of the parish and I'll give you an answer there. You can't say that. Kid needs an answer now. If the question arose now, answer him now. Elamai, we must say that this is not the reason. That this whole story, that's later on in the parasha. That's Rashi coming to explain the extra two words. Pare should have said, Ale, you 
What does he have to add? Kasherish biecha, as he swore to you. Oh, oh, the ved means pare was afraid of the shvua. That was a byproduct of the shvua. But the reason why pare, why Yaakov tells Yosef, make me a shvua, has nothing to do with pare. It's got to do with Yosef himself. So let's go with what you're saying. Which is that Yosef needs a push. He needs a push, right? What's the push that he needs? Yosef needs to realize yeah, that this is for real. Because he's going to encounter a lot of challenges. It's going to be very difficult. The Mitzvah are not going to want to do this. No one's going to want to go. It's going to be a fight. He tells Yosef, fight for it. Fight for the cause. Don't give in. No matter what. Fight, fight, fight. He says, fight for the cause. Right? Do me a favor. I, I don't want you to, no matter what, don't give in to the cause. Right? But that I don't understand. As we said before, Yosef told him, who do you think knew better the problems which you have to face getting something through the political, you know, in America it's almost impossible to get anything through. <coughs> Over here, Yosef is, is a monarch, but there's a bigger monarch under him. He's just one below. So he knows the challenges he's going to face are going to be formidable. Yet when he says, he means what he says, I'm going to do what I say. So why is it that even so, he says to him, you must make me take a shvua. As we'll see, Yosef has every reason, every reason in the book to not listen to Yaakov. And Yaakov is afraid of that. Why do you think Yosef would not want Yaakov to be buried in Mitzrayim? Uh, to, in Canaan. So, oh, okay, yeah. One reason is because revenge. Revenge. That's a nice reason, which is later on. And that's a whole different discussion, which is not for our class right now. Separate discussion. But I'll tell you one thing that Yaakov did not suspect Yosef of is that he wants to take revenge. My mother, you... Right, and just to make to feel, I feel bad about this. Yosef was... Just one second, just to tell you. Remember what happened later on. Yosef was sold by his brothers. They, they, they hurt... Is there a greater hurt than that? They sold him. When he gets sold, later on, towards the end, later in the parasha, the brothers, after Yosef, Yaakov dies, this is, has now been... Um, 39 years since they sold him. They, they bow themselves down in front of him and they say, your father said, that listen, we are, we are slaves and you can do whatever you want to us now. We know the reason you didn't do anything with us till now was because you were concerned about Kibudat, but now you're going to do what you, what you say you're going to do. That's fine, you can do whatever you want. And Yaakov did not say anything to Yosef. Why wouldn't Yaakov, if he was scared about revenge, because he, well, because he wasn't scared. He knew, he, was, he knew, one second, he knew Yosef harbored zero ill feelings. At, at whom? At the guys who sold him. Do you for one second think that Yaakov suspected Yosef of harboring ill feelings about the fact that Yaakov buried his mother in a place when he didn't have a choice? So you're right, we once learned it, correct? We learned it once, a whole discussion about it, how, how it wasn't that he would harbor, harbor ill feelings, but he just, he felt bad. Because the children in the future will need it. Oh, very good. Okay. 
There you go. That I'm with you. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, now I'm with you. So what happens is, it makes more sense for Yaakov to be buried in Mitzrayim. Let's understand. Why does Yaakov not bury, want to be buried in Mitzrayim? So what does he say? He says, I can't be buried in Mitzrayim because over here in Mitzrayim, the land's going to become kinim, and it's not good when the ground becomes, you know, full of lice and whatever it is and inside, and the ground's going to be smit too many times with the makois. I don't want to be inside here. Also, Eretz Yisrael is a great place to be buried in. Why? Because in Chutz Laaretz, there's you have to roll when you get to Eretz Yisrael, right? So Rashi says, Soifali asafar kinim. Number one, it's going to have kinim in the ground, and then it's going to bother my body. Merachin tachas gufi. And secondly, Shein Mesei Chutzalaretz Chaim Ela Betzar Gilgul Mechilas. They have to roll to get to Eretz Canaan. And third of all, Shalei Asuni Mitzrayim Avoydus Kichavim. They make may make me into a deity. And I would think that for all those reasons, Yosef should tell his father Tati that's so nice that you care for yourself. I agree with you. For you, it's obviously a lot better to go live in Eretz Canaan. But don't you think you should care about us over here in Mitzrayim? Remember, remember Tati, you have a promise that nobody else has. Hashem promised you directly when you went down to Mitzrayim, I'll descend with you, I'll rise with you. I'll, I'll go out with you. So only you have a direct promise from Hashem Isbarach of being elevated outside of Mitzrayim and, and going out of Golos, if you're going to get out of Golos, wouldn't you say it's a good idea to stay with us in Mitzrayim and then we'll go out together? Right? Wouldn't it make more sense for you to stay here in Mitzrayim and go out together with us? What's Yaakov going to say? Yeah, but my body's going to suffer. He says like, I don't, I don't mean your body's going to suffer. So what do you mean my body's going to suffer? Since when does a person think about himself? This, this is what you taught me? I, I thought we were supposed to think about others, to care for others, to be interested in them. And you're telling me now, no, 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 don't worry. My, I can't handle this. I, the one about making me try and make me into a deity that I get. But Gilgul Mechilas, Targil Gilgul Mechilas, etc. And Jesus, by the way, Tati, don't forget. Hi. Where do you think I'm going to be buried? So obviously the simple answer is that Yaakov says, listen, Yosef, you should also get out of Mitzrayim if you can. Except I know when I'm passing away now, you're still the king. So you can do it for me. Not so when you pass away, there won't be any king in Mitzrayim to do it for you so you don't have a choice. Right? That's the problem. But I'm going to add to you that it's actually better. It's, imagine what B'nai Yisrael can gain from it. Imagine B'nai Yisrael will have a place to go down. I mean, today we don't... What? Why did they all leave together? Why did they stay in Mitzrayim? Who leave? Yeah, well, they came down because of the drugs. So they got food and everything. Why did they go all back up? Why? Because there was a famine. They weren't able to survive. That's a good question. We're not, not, that's outside our, our thing right now. Uh, because... Bepashtus. Why didn't they leave after that, the, the, yeah. the food? Okay, good. Because I'll tell you why. They were living in Eretz, Eretz Mitzrayim. It was actually amazing. They, they lived there. They had, they had issues. 
They had a base of Talmud, which, which he built. They had a special land of their own, a province, a Jewish province. And, they, and they, their, their, their son and, and, uh, and brother and uncle and whatever was the king. So they had everything they wanted. Yaakov lived his best years in the land of Mitzrayim. Those 17 years. Right. So when he passes away, he tells him, so nice. I need to go back to Eretz And Yosef tells him, he says, Dear Tati, I don't accept. You should go to Eretz together with the rest of us. You want to go up? I'll take you up. But if you think for one second that Yosef understood why his father wanted to go up, not for one second did he understand why. Why you want me to go out of Mitzrayim. He didn't get it. You know it's not that... So, it's not that he, he, his whole being would cry out against it. He's like, how do you see that from the Pasuk? He said, I was going to do it. Oh, no. I, I'm saying, I'm, I'm not seeing in the Pasuk. I'm saying in the Pasuk it says, his father tells him, go. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. But I'm asking you, do you think that Yaakov made sense to Yosef? Not in the Pasuk. In the Pasuk doesn't say it. I'm just trying to understand why he wants to make him take a Shavuot. Lichuria, why does he want to make him take a shvur? Because Yosef has every reason not to listen. Not because he can't listen, he could, he'll fight for it. But maybe because, not because he's going to lie, because he doesn't want this to happen. Because Yosef doesn't want it. Yosef believes that it's better for the Jews that Yaakov should not get his amazing level that he wants to achieve. And he should have the suffering of, of Golus. In order that Bnei Yisrael should be helped. And by the way, Bnei, true Mitzrayim will make him to a deity. That might be an issue. But don't you think it needs a place for Bnei Yisrael to go daven? Do you realize how amazing it is, how lucky we are today? Do you realize what's going on? People go around the world to go daven. Where? So you'll go daven in, um, in Kerestir. And you'll fly to Uman. And you'll go to Lizhensk. And people go all the time. Take a trip, flying. Going to see Kvarim, to visit Kvarim, to be able to daven. You know, poor your heart. Imagine he didn't have a way to daven. Imagine such a situation. Imagine they weren't kvarim to go daven in. <coughs> These are holy, holy places where you can feel connected. Now, today over here, right in New York, right, we have go daven by the oil, by the Baba River, go to Monty, go to the Ribnitz River. It's great. But the worst case scenario, you can get on a plane and fly to Eretz Or to... There's plenty places to go. Can you imagine you had nowhere to go? Imagine there's nowhere to go. You know, I was listening to a story. Rabbi uh, Shlomo Gorin was the, the chief rabbi, first of the army, and then uh, of the whole area of So he came to the Lubavitch Rebbe four times. He had a few hours each time. And each time he asked the question, why don't you come to Eretz So long story, what the answer was, at the point there, at one point, the rabbi tells him, one of the answers was, he says, none of the rabbis before me was in Eretz Yisrael. So he goes back and he, he's in Kfar Chabad, on Yutis Kislev, and, uh, you know, he has what to tell the people because he's just hours in Yechidus. So he tells them, you know, this is what, uh, what I was told. So uh, Rabbi Trebnik, I think it was, was the Rav of the, of the Kfar Chabad, he says, I don't understand one thing. The Rebbe Rayatz was in Eretz Yisrael. He came here for, he was here for 29 and a half days. So he says, uh, that doesn't make sense. So the next time he goes into the Rebbe, he's about to ask the question. As soon as he walks in, the Rebbe looks at him and he says, you obviously have a question. You know, he anticipated that one. Why, why did I say he didn't go? He did. He said, let me explain to you. He didn't go there to Israel. 
but he was out of Russia. It was 1929. He was ousted from Russia. He couldn't go back to Russia. There were, he had, uh, you know, you couldn't exactly travel those days wherever you wanted. Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, the only place he could go, which he felt he could daven in and connect at an oil, was in Eretz Yisrael, Hebron, Yerushalayim. So he had no choice. He had to go daven somewhere. He wasn't, he didn't go to Eretz Yisrael. He went to daven. He needed, this was a technicality, he needed to daven. He didn't go visit Eretz Yisrael. He wanted to visit the Kvarim, however you understand that. The point is, a Jew needs to be able to daven. What Yaakov was doing over here was effectively withholding the possibility of Amisrael davening in Golos. And that should hurt you, Yosef. So the question is, if that's the case, do you have an answer? So why does Yaakov insist? And he's so insistent that he takes a Shavua. He says, don't just say you're going to do it. I want, to, I want to focus. I want your whole life's focus and devotion to swear to me I will do it. You understand what a shvua is? A shvua is you take out a Sefer Torah and you hold the Sefer Torah and you say, I'm going to swear. Over here there's no Sefer Torah. So he says, then sim no yod chotachas yerechi. Yerechi means the bris milah. The only mitzvah Yaakov had, like Avram, it says, tachas yerechi. Under the bris milah, even though it's not sneistic, but it's the only object of mitzvah where God commanded him to do something. So he says, I want you to hold this, and thereby you take a shvua, and now it's a shvua that's obligating, because it was the most important thing ever to him to prove this point, that you have to take me out of Mitzrayim. Maybe he felt that he didn't know when they were going to be redeemed, maybe don't forget them. Again, so... Yes, and then you shouldn't go to Davin any caver. Remember, Kalev ben Yifune was saved because he davened by Kibri Ovis. Remember him? Kalev ben Yifune went out by the Muragim. He walks into Eretz Canaan and he said, I can't handle this. So he goes and davens by the, by the Kibri Ovis. That's how he was saved. Obviously, davening by a caver is very important. Yet, Yaakov wants to withhold that from his children. I don't care what benefit you have. And if they won't take you out, they won't. But you'll help them. Again, he tells, you, just, you said it before, he tells Yosef, your mother, for for the rest of time. She's going to be buried. Kevrochel is on the journey. And she won't get the benefit of Mara Samachbela. How fast Kevrochel for Mara Samachbela? Isn't that, I mean, whatever. I guess by donkey it takes a little longer. But, <coughs> and there's some Arabs in the middle, you might not be able to do exactly what you want to do. The point is that it wasn't impossible to get her there. And she should have had precedence over Leah. Because she died first. And she was the main wife. He says, no, she's good for her to be buried in the, in the middle of the way. Me, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it. I need to be buried in the holy place. And Yosef's is like, uh, duh, you should also come with us. What is Yaakov's message? What is the power of Yaakov's message where he says, Herein lies the key to survival of Godless. This past Shabbos, I had a guest, came to us for Shabbos. What an amazing person. Um, he called us right before Shabbos. And he says his wife is in hospital. She was rushed into hospital over here. And he looked us up online. We're the closest place, you know, to her, to the hospital. We live on the block. Can you come for Shabbos? So, you know, scramble. Came for Shabbos. And, um, <coughs> and he ate fast. He was going in and out to see her the whole, the whole Shabbos. <coughs> And um, I couldn't resist. I said to him, I, I need to know your story. 
because I've heard him before, but I don't know why, what's your story. His name is Professor Bush. He's a professor of, of um, mediation, of attorney mediation. How attorneys can mediate, that's what he teaches for 40 years at the Hofstra University in the Lions. So I'm like, what's, you know, in the Shabbos table, I need to hear a story. Like, you grew up not from, how do you become from? He says, I became from when I was 30 years old in 1978. That's impressive. At 30 years old, he was already married with a kid. And then he became from. Here's what happened. Parents originally were in New York. Moved away from New York in 1937. They went to live in Phoenix, Arizona. And they sent him, to, him and his brother to public school. And they knew nothing from nothing about anything about Judaism. And they didn't care. Almost. Minor little things. And um, he grew up with, you know, like a regular secular boy in Arizona in the 1950s. Anyway, at... Um, in, when, he, when, he grow, grow, go, when he finished high school, he goes to college. He went to liberal America, to Berkeley, California. And he says, he told the story on Shabbos, this part of the story, uh, to Kiddush. And not everyone was listening, because he doesn't look the part. He looks, he looks like, a, like a, a hostage with a white beard. And, you know, he doesn't look like a professor, like a super intelligent guy. And when, you, when he starts talking, you realize, like, there's this, this, uh, this incredible story behind there. These like sparkling eyes are telling you the story about a liberal American who grew up and what he became. It's like, it's mesmerizing. Anyhow, so, so he grows up and, um, and he, he, he's uh, 16, 17, 18, in his final years of high school, he tells his parents, I'm leaving. He goes, goes to, to, to Berkeley, to some other colleges, doesn't want to know anything from anything. He says, and then he has a total falling out with his parents. And I said, I couldn't, I, he told the story, I said, I, I said like, why? What was, the, what was the great argument? He says, Vietnam. And like, you fought your parents over Vietnam? He says, you bet. My parents supported the war in Vietnam. And I'm a liberal. To me, no way. Get out of Vietnam. And you guys are so old-fashioned. There was a generation gap in that time. So I didn't talk to my parents for 15 years. Maybe he did talk a few times. Any conversation was a fight. He moved away, doesn't want to know his parents. Because Vietnam. Then comes the, the Six-Day War. That made things worse. The Six-Day War comes along, and, um, you know, and he says, I, I, like, I, I hate my parents now. Why? Because they support these, these, uh, these Israelis who are oppressors of the poor Palestinians. Right? He says, 1969. I go to Israel for the first time. I go visit the place. I'm looking around, whatever he says, and I start seeing these kids with machine guns. And every time I saw a kid with a machine gun, I started getting more and more upset. And my liberal American upbringing wants to kill, wants to get mad at them. And every time I see it, I want to just go and destroy. And finally, I got so mad, I walked over to a soldier, I spat him in the face. And I said to him, you know, basically, you, you oppressor of the Palestinians. Come back to America. 1978. 1978 comes along. I'm, cutting, I'm just a short version of a long, long story. 1978. He's married. He's got a two-year-old daughter. He comes to one day, looks at his daughter, and 
and he feels terrible for her. He starts realizing that this little kid is not going to have grandparents. Because I'm not talking to my parents. So she won't have grandparents. And that's not right. So he decides, you know what? I have to do something. His therapist at the time gives him a book to read. The book was about how to intelligently divorce your parents. But what it was about was how to build a relationship with your parents and divorce yourself from the negative traits of your parents. In other words, even if your parents are completely nuts in their view of Vietnam and Israel and the Palestinians and everything else under the sun, you can't agree on anything, nonetheless, you can still love your parents. He reads the book cover to cover 17 times, finishes and decides, tells his wife, I'm going for a week. He flies to Arizona, comes to his parents' house, arrives with a huge, massive bouquet of flowers. So he's standing out there in their front door. He rings the bell, and he's standing with this massive bouquet of flowers. His father, it's the middle of, of, uh, of the summer, and I guess Arizona's always summer, and he comes out, his father opens the door, he looks inside, and he sees someone standing there with a big bouquet of flowers. He looks at the guy, and he's like, what's this? And he says, honey, did you order flowers? Someone's there with a big bouquet of flowers. She's like, no. And he says, says to the guy, who's this for? I didn't order any, any flowers. Then like, he's looking. He's like, Bobby! He says, honey, it's Bobby! And he sees his son. And he's like shocked. And his son comes in and he says, I spent a week by my parents. 15 years, 15 years. There was a fight and they didn't fight all week. Got these pictures, he says. You know, the 70s pictures. I got these pictures. They were, my parents, he says, are grinning from ear to ear. Every single picture, they're grinning. They couldn't believe that this was happening to them. For a whole week. His father died two years later, and he had a relationship. He says, I built that relationship in the nick of time. Right at the end. Managed to do it. Anyway, he says, as a result of that, parents, keep it up for him. I start saying, maybe I need to find out more about where I come from. One thing leads to another. I won't tell you the story. He became fully from. He didn't just change his relationship with his parents, he changed his relationship with God, he went to learn Hadaratari Yeshiva, he came back, whole process, he became completely from. Like, I mean, really, really from. Lives in Crown Heights. 2006, the second time he visits Israel. This time he's coming as a chassid. This time he has his long beard. You know, he's like looking the real deal. And he's by the Kaisal. But inside he's still that Berkeley, California kid. He's standing by the coastal, he says, and I see down the road over there a soldier. And he's in his uniform, and he's got this yarmulke on him, and he's soldier's sitting down on a chair right in front of the coastal, and he's got this huge machine gun on him. And I'm looking at the machine gun, and I'm like, <sighs> and I'm looking at myself, and I'm realizing for the first time how much my opinion has changed. He says, and I have in my pocket a few dollars from the Rebbe. So I walk over to the soldier, and I said to the soldier, I've got to give you something. The soldier's like, Matomil? And I speak my non-existent Hebrew. 
and he's trying his non-existent English. And I explained to him that this is a dollar from Rabbi Bilubavitch. And do you want it? Said, yeah, better honey, what's it? I'd love to know what the soldier story was. He must have had this amazing thing he was dabbling for. And he was answering in the right nick of time. I know, he's got to some guy. Someone came over to me and gave me this thing. He says, and the guy comes over to him, and, and he, I came over to him, and I gave it to him. And I told him, this is Lehaganave Hatzala. And at that moment, I felt that my whole liberalism of fighting, of being this godless mentality, was completely transformed and, and completely overhauled. And, and there was a tshuva built in at that moment. I said to him, Professor, tell me how this changed. What was this chus that you had that was able to make this happen? He said, I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing my mother gave me. And my mother told me, you don't ever, ever, ever marry a non-Jew. And he says, I'm not saying it works for everyone. For me it worked, he says. Because I hated my mother for it. But I couldn't marry a non-Jew. I couldn't stand him. Why? Why? Another one of these things you have, old-fashioned things. You don't keep anything about Judaism, but you can't marry a guy. And one day, I went out, and my mother's like, you're not a Christian. Initially, we had a bush, a bush and a manure. Bush, they call it. A, a, you know, a Hanukkah bush. A bush and a manure together. And we had them together. And then, and then one day, my mother gets rid of it. Finish quickly. Um, give me two moments to finish the Nakuta. So he says, we had the, the Hanukkah bush and the thing. He says, I take away the, the bush. Um, and he says, and one day, one day I'm going caroling with my friends. And my, my mother says to me, if you go caroling with your friends over my dead body. And she said, we, I, okay, I'm not going. So I'm with my friends. And in the middle of it, one of the friends says, let's go. He says, and I, I couldn't resist it, and I went. And a car pulls up next to me, out of nowhere. And my mommy takes me away. He says, caroling. Under. <laughs> he says, that's what my, my mother gave me. One thing she gave me was, you're not a guy. And that, ultimately, that little nakuda that she gave me, carried me through. Look what happens with Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov tells Yosef one message. His message is, What's that message? Think of what, what the words mean. He says, Yosef, there's a lot of mailas. It's incredible to be, be, to be, be in, in, in Eretz, in Eretz uh, Mitzrayim, right? For the Jews and whatever, it's good. I'm not going to Eretz Yisrael for me. I'm going to Eretz Yisrael for one reason. I want you to realize that the place to be in is Eretz Kenan, Eretz, Eretz, Eretz Yisrael. Imagine what it does to Yosef. He says, like, I don't understand. There's every reason why to be here. And you understand how much I'm going to have to suffer to give. I'm going to have to fight Paroi and all the Mitzvah and everything. And the Jews and my mind and everything to get out, to get you there. He says, it's so difficult for me. Why would you do this to me? And his father says, I'll tell you why. So that you, no matter, I understand you're the king, you're comfortable, there's Torah learning going on, there's Gashmis, there's Ruchnis, there's everything. Don't get comfortable in the land of Mitzrayim. Don't succumb to Golos. Why will you not succumb to Golos? Because you've got to carry me out. And Yosef says, I'll do what you say. He says, don't just tell me you'll do what, you, what I say. I don't want you just to do this. I want you to live your whole life. The whole focus of everything should be this. Like the mother telling him, whatever you do, the ikker in your life is don't marry a goy and don't go caroling because you're Jewish. And ultimately, that obviously we've got to get more of an akuda than she did. right? She was lucky. God helped her. But Yaakov says to him, whatever you do, one point a Jew should have. Mitzrayim is not the place to be in. Golos is not the place to be in. Swear to me. You know what that swearing is? 
Do you realize how much we do it every single day in davening? We daven a semach of davu chamiras hatzmiach. Get me out of golus for the Yerushalayim. Yerucha berachim toshub. You eat food. You bench. Uvenei Yerushalayim. Rakhis mervemenu. Rachim Hashem lekin alisrael lemachavale Yerushalayim. Yerucha. You get married. Imish kochech Yerushalayim. Tachachemini. You build a house. You leave a little thing open. Imish kochech Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim. Eretz Yisrael. All the time. Not. Don't just say it. Live it. Be it. This is your whole being. You know what happens if you do that? You stop being a golus dekayid. So the answer is exactly as you say. Why does Yaakov tell Yosef to do this? He says, I know you're going to tell me what to do. I know you're going to listen to me. I don't have a question. I want this to be your way of life. I want you to live with this. That's why Rashi doesn't have to say anything. It's exactly what you said, because Yosef wouldn't listen. Of course he would listen. But he would, it would be against his being. And Yaakov says to Yosef, it needs to be that a Jew knows that his place is not in the land of Mitzrayim, no matter how good Golos is, this is not the place to be in. You know what happens to you when you live like this? You live a Geula mentality. People who live a Golos mentality become these Jews who are scared of their own shadows. Don't be scared of your shadow. When you live in, in Golos, realize a Jew's always outside of Golos. He's in a state of Geula. Never succumb to the Golos. Never let it take you over. Do you understand how this answers this, this guy's question? Why are you still fasting? Fasting, like, like your friend tells you, 2,000 years and you're still fasting. And I started to this every year. I started to my stomach is rumbling. I'm like, why is my stomach rumbling? Your stomach is rumbling. So you should know that you're in Golos and it's the wrong place to be in. <coughs> I'm not eating on a Sarabatavis and a bunch of times a year. So as I never get comfortable in this Golos, it's not just then Mashiach will come. It's then, then you never, you, you can live a, you can create a Judaism exists. Society can, can a, a Yiddishkeit can thrive. Why? Because you get the message. For real. When you don't get the message, you, you fall into Golos. If you get the message, you rise above it, you ascend, you're never stuck in the Golos. We live Geula. And so Yaakov gave that gift to Yosef. The gift was, Don't, don't ever accept Golos as a fait accompli. Rise above it, and mainly you'll live above it. You'll live a, redeem, a life of, of, of redemption.